Hello and welcome to the Mind Springs podcast with me, Alastair Appleton. I hope you enjoy what you hear, and if you'd like to find out more about us, then visit mind-springs.org. There's a very interesting um, parallel with this in the... um, I won't go into this in too much detail because I can really go off on one here, but... There's a very interesting parallel in this when you look at the history, the lineage of psychotherapy. So we're, we're used to talking about the lineage of a, a Buddhist tradition, but in some ways psychotherapy also has a rich, um, like hundred-year-old lineage, going back to Freud and some of the early French thinkers at the turn of the 19th into the 20th century. And Freud, Sigmund Freud, of course, is the, is the big name that everyone's heard of. But very interestingly, um, parallel to Freud's career and his thinking about the human ego and the human psyche, there was the work of an equally fascinating French psychologist called Pierre Janet. Anyone heard of Janet? No. This is fascinating because at the beginning in the Salpetrier, which was the, the school of uh, psychology that uh, both Freud and Janet studied in, in in France at the end of the 19th century, they were both considered shining lights. They were both considered the new hope for this new science of psychotherapy or psychology. And uh, Janet's theory was, was one that now is very uh, widely upheld, which was essentially this idea that about trauma. He's considered the sort of grandfather of traumatology. That, you know, children growing up in a world full of adults who are often not very careful with them, experience trauma, and in order to deal with that, they dissociate bits of themselves. So if every time you cried, you got beaten, then you would learn to turn off the crying bit of yourself. You would shave that part of your personality out of the picture, so you would never cry. Or if you were a a child that only got praise when it made mummy laugh, then you would shave off the sad parts of yourself. You would dissociate anything that made it was an expression of sadness, and you would only be happy, happy, happy. So in severe cases, we've seen that can be, be really problematic. But in most cases, that just leads to what we call a personality. You know, we're a happy, happy, happy sort of person, or we're, a, you know, we're not ever angry. We never cry. And so this, this model of that you know, we have knocks and bumps as we're growing up and in order to survive them we kind of shave off bits of our personality using dissociation makes complete sense, always made complete sense to me and has enjoyed an enormous renaissance in the last 20 years. But what's fascinating is that Freud's theory, which you may or may not know, he began sort of sharing Janet's view that actually it was childhood trauma, uh, abuse or knocks or neglect that caused a lot of psychological problems. He changed that view in the early 20th century to the view of repression, that actually it wasn't what the the parents did to the children that caused the damage, it was what the children fantasised about the parents that caused the damage. And then they repressed those fantasies and that caused the sort of distortions that led to neurosis. And you can explain those uh, two differences by uh, lovely mythological um, images. Because Freud famously talked about Oedipus. So Oedipus, you remember, um, killed his father, 
married his mother. So Freud used this as the myth of like forbidden Oedipal desire. The myth that would fit into Jeanne's view is that of Osiris, Osiris, who is the, the Egyptian god. You may not know him, but Osiris was one of the main gods of the Egyptian pantheon. And he was cut up into pieces by his wicked brother Set. And so he was, he was cut up by his jealous brother Set and scattered all over the globe. And it was his wife-slash-sister, Isis, who went around, a female energy that went around and gathered up all these broken parts and brought them back together. And so this myth of gathering up dissociated parts and bringing them back as a, as a whole is the myth that uh, summarizes this work of uh, traumatology of Jeanne's view. We split into all these pieces and we shut different pieces down. And the work of the therapist or the work of spiritual practice is really to bring all these kind of disembodied pieces back into an embodied whole. And it's a feminine energy that does that. It's a kind, loving energy that does that. What's really fascinating about those two myths is that the whole of 20th century psychotherapy has dissociated Jane from the story. He appears like at the beginning and then Freud, because he disagreed with Freud and Freud had a much bigger voice, Freud attacked Jane and said he was crazy and he disappears from the whole record for about 70 years. There's no mention of Jane at all. And it's only in the last 20 years that he's become um, accepted and actually championed as a, a more accurate model of thinking about psychological distress. What's also interesting is that the story of Oedipus is also dissociated. Because what we all forget is why Oedipus killed his father and married his mother. Does anyone know why that happened? It was because Oedipus's father was cursed. He was cursed and said, your son will kill you and marry your wife. And he was cursed because he abused the child of a, king, a neighboring king. So the curse of Oedipus is actually the karmic you know, the debt, the kind of fallout from child abuse by his father which is completely airbrushed out of the story, which is exactly what Jeanne is saying, that we airbrush out these events from our past, these traumatic events, and we pretend something else is happening, and we blame the child, but actually we need to reassociate ourselves with all those painful memories and bring them together to heal them. I think that's a really interesting uh, uh, parallel way of explaining perhaps the difference between those two views. Another way of thinking about the difference between repression and, and dissociation is you can think of repression, Freudian repression, like having a great big stripy beach ball floating on top of the sea. So, for example, in the 1940s or 1920s, indeed, you're a gay man in Vienna and you have lots of desire for other men. But society does not going to smile on that. So you get your big beach ball of desire and you push it down under the water. And this requires an enormous amount of effort. If you've ever tried to keep a beach ball under the water, it really wants to come back up. So this is the idea of repression. 
it's something we know is there. We know the big stripy beach ball is there, but we want to get rid of it. So there's an enormous amount of psychic energy that goes into trying to hold it under the water. And we're conscious of it. Dissociation is actually much different. Because dissociation is like a rock at the bottom of the water. If we stop paddling and thrashing around, we can see the rock at the bottom of the water. But in order to bring it up into the light, into consciousness, we actually have to make some effort. The effort here is not about hiding, but the actual effort is about revealing. So weirdly, dissociation is about a lack of effort. And this is borne out by a lot of uh, evidence in you know, how clients experience it, how people experience it. It's not that we don't know these things. It's just that we choose not to remember them. It's a distinct difference. We can often know very well what happened to us as a, as a child, but we don't make the effort to bring it up into our storyline. We don't drag it up out of the past and go, this happened, this is part of my life. We just choose to ignore it. Another image you could have is of a stage. So you have a stage that's sort of dark and it's full of furniture, but there's only a spotlight on this chair because this is the chair that I like to sit in and this is the chair that I like everybody to see me in. However, there's a really dirty sofa there and there's a broken armoire there and there's a bicycle at the back and there's some rotten cheese in the fridge over there. And the point is, it's all there and if I got up and walked, I'd bump into it and other people would bump into it. But I choose not to illuminate it. This is the, this is the kind of Way, way we can think about uh, dissociation in this, in this way. It's something that's happening, and actually everybody sort of knows it's happening, but we do not articulate it. We don't drag it up into our awareness. And this is... <coughs> does, does, it, does it make sense? I'm going to give you some examples later on. And maybe I'll give you an example now so you're not floundering too much. This is from my psychotherapy training. Um, when I was training as a psychotherapist, we used to do this torturous thing called a goldfish bowl. If anyone's a therapist might remember this. It's where basically you, you, are, you are the therapist and you have one of your fellow students pretends to be a client and then all the other students sit in a big circle and watch you do your therapy. It's a kind of way of training. And I had this absolutely wonderful bodhisattva-like uh, teacher who was just a wonderful woman um, called Shoshi Azeri. And she, um, she would be very, this is towards the end of our training, so we were quite advanced, and she would be very canny in choosing uh, subjects. She would plant these ideas in the person who was pretending to be your client so to activate you as a therapist. And so I was sitting here, and my, this colleague, who I didn't actually like very much, she reminded me a bit of my mother. Here's the clue. She reminded me a bit of my mother. <coughs> she was sitting there, and, and Shoshi had given her a role to play. And so she says, OK, start the time. I'm like, oh, how are you? How's it going? And uh, uh, my colleague uh, sort of went, oh, I love coming here because, well, because you're gay, I never feel very threatened. You know threat being a gay man. 
And there was this gasp in the room as everyone in the room sort of gasped. And I was like, oh, you know, that's very nice. How's your week been? And, and it continued, completely unaware of, of what had happened, uh, talking to this, this uh, woman. And a minute, she shot up from her feet and went, stop, stop, stop. What's going on? And I was like, what do you mean? She, she goes, she's just, she's just attacked you. She's just said something really demeaning to you that's kind of belittled you. And you've kind of glossed over it and you're talking about the rest of the week. What's going on? And that moment was like a, a sheet of plate glass breaking all around me. It was very dramatic. It was like, you imagine like glass, that just goes And I realized that for my entire life, growing up as a gay man in a largely homophobic you know, 1970s and 80s England, I had internalized this idea that my gayness was definitely something that I didn't, uh, didn't want to uh, associate with when I was little. You know, it was not something that my parents would ever like, it was something I'd get, probably get thrown out of the house for. And although I you know, that laterly, laterly came out and have a partner, I recognized that this part of me that totally um, excused people for attacking me because I was gay or attacking other people was for being gay had, had persisted. I had dissociated the sting of attack, the feeling of being belittled, the feeling of being... Uh, made to, to feel less than. And it took the, the gasp of everyone in that circle for me to recognise what it was that I should have been feeling, but had dissociated. And so there was this very vivid sense of, oh my God, I've never felt that. And then a sense of how many other times have I let that slip or glossed over that. So a sense of like missing something that was really active in my life. And the brilliant thing that Shoshi said is that she said, you have to work with that. You have to acknowledge that you've been attacked. You have to tell the person, I feel that you just attacked me. You have to bring it to the table. Because if you don't, if you continue dissociating that, you will revenge yourself on your client further down the line because your body knows it's been attacked. The kind of the true part of you, the, the full part of you, is fully aware that it's been attacked and will revenge its, its attack on that person. And she says, well, I can't let you be a therapist until you've sorted that out because you're dangerous. And so this was like a huge revelation to me. And I recognized that there were so many other examples of dissociation in my life. Um, and that it always takes an other to point it out. Because the brilliant and unsettling thing about dissociation, dissociation is that you can't see it. It is, in Buddhist terms, it's what they call avidya. It's not seeing. It's like you've been walking around all your life with two heads, but you're convinced you've only got one. And you're wondering, why is, everyone, why is everyone shouting at me? And you realize, because this other head has been swearing at people, or being really racist, or being really nasty, or passive aggressive. And you've been thinking, well, I know, I only say nice things, but I can't understand why nobody wants to hang out with me. And you suddenly realize that you've got this other head that's been kind of spouting terrible, malicious slander for years. 
And this is the kind of pain that happens when you stop dissociating. When you let this experience that you've blocked out come back into your life. Because A, it's very shameful. It was very shameful for me to recognize that I, you know, I was going to revenge myself for an attack that I didn't even let myself feel. And it's simultaneously a great inrush of energy because the feeling of being attacked, the feeling of like aggression and all those things, these are very energetic things. And the great tragedy of dissociation is that it cuts us off from vitality. The more we shave off from our life, the more we pretend that this is not happening, I don't feel anger and I don't feel sadness and I don't feel lust and I don't desire people and I don't do this and I don't do that, the less and less life we have. We've kind of chiseled off all the bits of life that mean something. and We end up living in this very kind of arid little slither of life, which at a certain point can go a bit crazy when we kind of split up into different personalities. Thank you for listening and please do join us again for more podcasts from MindSprings. You can find out more about us and our work at mind-springs.org. That's mind-springs.org.